From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm KG Smooth, joined by the one and only Uncle Funky Larry Jones. How are you, sir? Sir, I'm doing well, and once again, you look marvelous. Thank you. Too bad the weather doesn't outside. It's been raining all week, man. Yeah, well, it's that season. Since Saturday? (laughs) You know Houston. This is is what we do. It's that rainy season. We just got out of a small hurricane and more to come, but... Yeah, it'll be all right. We're we're here. We're here. And we have a lovely young woman on the line. She is the executive Mm -hmm. director of the Women's Fund. Please welcome the lovely Linda Rhodes. How are you? I am fine. Thank you for having me on your show today. Good. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, The Women's Fund, from what I understand, has been around for 41 years. Yet, in all honesty, this is my first time hearing of the Women's Fund. Wow. Yeah. And I. We're a little-known secret, and we've been hidden for 41 years, but my goal is to take us very public so everybody knows about the good work we're doing. So tell us about uh, the Women's Mm -hmm. Fund and what it is that you all do. Okay. Well, the Women's Fund has been educating women and girls um, on health education through classes, workshops, uh, lectures, and then we have publications that are focused on physical, mental, financial, emotional, and health and well, health and wellness. So while our focus on, is on health and wellness, our education classes bases, uh, are based on seven of the eight dimensions of health and wellness as described by the World Health Organization. So we, our approach to health is really a holistic approach, looking at not just your physical, nutritional, but looking at your mental, emotional, are you in healthy relationships, all those things that can play a detrimental role or a positive role in affecting your overall health. Hmm. And what are those uh, eight essentials or those eight principles that uh, the World Health Organization um, has labeled? I've never heard of that either. Okay, well, they're physical mental, emotional, uh, financial. Uh, I have to think about this every time because I go spouting them off. Um, environmental. And oh, I'm so sorry about this. I don't have them right here mm-hmm. um, in front of me. Uh, but basically it's holistic mm-hmm. an approach. It's not just, you know, we know that if you – how you handle stress and coping, Mm -hmm. the variety of, you know, if you aren't handling it well, and if you're worrying about your money, that's a big stressor for a lot of people, or just what we're going through right now with this pandemic. Um, You know, so our focus is giving good information and provide filling that information gap on all these strategies and how they can help you um, approach your op and be optimally healthy. Hey, Linda, this is Larry. So speaking of the pandemic and COVID-19, how has your organization had to adjust in serving the more than 12,000 women and almost 10,000 girls? I see you guys uh, have information going to each each week. What are you doing now? Well, unfortunately, we're not having our face-to-face classes. Um, we closed our office the week before the state actually, or the county put in the stay-at-home order. As a voluntary health organization, we felt it was important to you know, practice what we preach. So we closed our office. Uh, we took the first two weeks we were working remotely and we came up with a plan. And so since April 1st, uh, we 
have been providing free to the public virtual presentations. We started slow because uh, we had never approached our health education classes like this because they're typically interactive. There's a question and answer time, different things like that. So how would we approach it? And so we've been doing one, we've been doing classes for women uh, every Wednesday since April 1st. And, you know, we've uh, covered topics such as um, resiliency, coping with stress, uh, self-empowerment, self-care, sleep hygiene, just a variety of topics. Um, and we've had, you know, good success with that. In June, we expanded and started offering our What About Me classes for adolescent girls, fifth grade and above. And uh, we've been offering those weekly. We are also offering women's classes once a month, uh, trying to see what the interest is out there in Spanish. Um, and I'm real pleased to say that our health education team has um, now, um, we're adding more classes in August, so we're offering classes more frequently through the week. We'll probably add two or three classes beginning each week, beginning in August, and then see how that goes and continue to add, because we know everybody's not available at one time on a certain day at the same hour. So uh, we just released our schedule for August. Um, the classes are Wednesday via Zoom. You register on our website. They last approximately 45 minutes. Um, they're 2 p.m. Um, and in August, we'll be covering heart health. Uh, on August 5th, the 12th, we'll be covering diabetes. And then uh, on August 19th, we're going to be covering in case of an emergency. And it's a follow-up to one we did on home and summer safety uh, because we touched on some topics um, which added more questions. So, you know, we touched on things like poison control and different things like that or falls. Well, what do you do if you, you know, so we're going to go in a little more detail there. And then we'll, on August 26th, just in time for back to school, whatever that looks like, we're going to be talking about immunizations. Hmm. So with all of these classes and everything that you're offering in the month of August, uh, do women need to register online? Is it, uh, is it absolutely free? Do they just like sign up to get the, the Zoom um, ID and number yeah. and just pop in? How does that work? That is, you register for each class independently on our website, which is thewomensfund.org. Uh, there is a slider, and on our, the first thing you see on our landing page is a list of our virtual presentations or the classes, and you can just click there and sign up. And you do get a unique ID to each class to a Zoom presentation. And everything we do is 100% free. Uh, so all of our classes are free. Our publications, we have four publications, uh, both in English and Spanish. Uh, so, uh, and we have them available in print and hard copy. Um, and, but our office, we only have it manned with one person at this point. We can do some um, pickups for publications. But if you're interested in our publications, they are available under on our website also to download under the What We Do. And again, those are free. Um, and the presentations we have, I mean, the publications we have are How's My Health, 
what about me, what are the facts, and which way. And How's My Health is basically a health monitoring tool uh, where, you, where you can track. I went to the doctor. This is what he said. This is when I had this immunization. It also gives tips and tools for, well, if you're a 50-year-old woman, you need to be having this vaccination. You need to be doing this right now. It's time for your bone density. It's time for this. Uh, what about me is our Girls Guide to Health, um, which is you know, appropriate for adolescent girls. We always encourage, especially with our younger girls, fourth, fifth, middle school, that parents be a part of, you know, reading the publication. But it's a very, very helpful tool. I actually use it with my 11-year-old granddaughter. And then what are our facts? What are the facts is our women's guide um, for health, overall health, and which way covers family, nutrition, and physical activity. So, Linda, I'm, I'm curious, and, and, and first of all, let us both say thank you for the work that your organization is doing for the, 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 the women and young ladies of the city of Houston. Um, with the landscape shifting of employment, unemployment, does your organization touch on that? Do you have any publications that might lend itself to people who have to have a career change now because maybe their job has gone away? We don't specifically cover that, but uh, we do have uh, classes and presentations we have done in the past about, you know, identifying your skills or if you have to change jobs or careers, you know, some self-identification there, things you can do. Um, and that's a great topic that we probably should add to add to the list of presentations we do to pull those out of our archives and do that. We do a um, we do a half day workshop for women. It's our Girl Plus One um, Healthy Living Workshop, which is really designed for adolescent girls and their adult caregiver, where they learn together. And I know that under the occupational wellness, that's one of the eight dimensions is occupational wellness. We do have something on uh, to talk to adults about, you know, career changes. Uh, and we bring in experts to do that oftentimes, or if it could be work-life balance. And uh, I think we, we have offered that already this summer because, and we felt that was a very timely presentation to provide this summer, especially as we're working from home and a lot uh, many people have their children at home with them. How do you find that balance? Right. Uh, for me, I'm raising a grandson who's a senior, so I don't have to do that much with him. But what I've found is working from home since Mar early March is that I'm spending more time at my desk. So I have to look at that work-life balance and really say, stop, Linda, you need to go take care of yourself. Um, you know, because we, as women, we tend to um, go, go, go. And so we have to find that time to re-energize and recharge ourselves. So under the occupational wellness, we do have presentations that address those career changes, those job shifts, um, balancing work and life, um, and a, you know a variety of topics like that. No, kudos. Does that answer your question? Yes, ma'am. I, I just want to say kudos to you because my wife and I are raising our four-year-old grandchild, and fortunately there is a, a daycare nearby, but 
she has always worked from home or has had a business at the home. But now she's had to set her clocks and her watches to remind herself to get up, move around, because the landscape is a little different. So, no, that, uh, that, that's good. And I'm, I'm glad we're able to talk about it and, and get your services yeah. offered today. Yeah, that is very important. You're right. Self-care. Um, I was asked the question the other day, what do I think one of the most important or biggest challenges women and girls have today? And it is about taking that time for yourself, taking care of yourself, getting the medical, you know, going to your doctor's appointments or getting that therapy session in or just having that self-care. It's been rather hard and self-care looks different. Now, you know, I used to go for massages every three weeks and that was my guilty pleasure or not so guilty pleasure because I know I need it to charge myself up. But now I'm having to look for other ways. Is it reading? Is it meditating? Is it, you know, playing in the pool? You know, you have to do that. And so um, it's, it's really important. So I'll go back to your next question. Yeah. Um, no, I was saying in about three months or so, you all are having your 10th annual Rockland Resiliency Luncheon, uh, the Women's Fund, on uh, Sunday, November 1st. Uh, talk about that for a bit. Okay. Well, it is our largest fundraising event of the year. Uh, the reason we're able to provide all of our funding, all of our publications and and programs free of charge is because of generous donors. Um, this year, we have made the decision and we will be going virtual. And so people can attend from the comfort of their home. It's always a very inspiring day. My granddaughter comes with me every year. Um, and our chairs this year are Christine and Steve Johnson. We have, um, we, our keynote speaker is the one and only uh, Scott McClellan, the president of HEB, who is a leader in this community. And uh, Steve Johnson will be interviewing him. They'll be doing this and, you know, dads and daughters um, because dads, you know, have a role in women and health care and their daughter's health care also health and well-being. Um, but the, the event will have multiple facets to it besides the luncheon itself um, where we'll feature the keynote speaker but we'll have an education session uh, that will be like in a separate breakout room so you know um, we we are talking about this when we're going on a website or when we're logging in virtually we're going to have breakout sessions and rooms on the page um, and this year's theme is your voice matters uh, we felt it was really important with all that's going on uh, today um, that we we start talking to our young girls and women and making them realize that they have a voice, not just a voice about what's happening politically, you know, go vote kind of thing, where, you know, but about your health. It's okay to ask questions, you know, when a doctor gives you information. What does that mean, you know? And, and everything in your education, everything you have, have, have an understanding of what you're being told. So this year's theme is Your Voice Matters and our education session, which will be geared towards the girls that will be attending, um, will, but parents and also have wonderful information for adults also, will be focused on that. We'll bring in experts from the mental, uh, mental health, um, and 
physical health to talk about, you know, how your voice can be heard. Indeed. So we'll save the date for Sunday, uh, November 1st, for the Women's Fund's 10th annual Rock and Resiliency Luncheon. And just for more information on the Women's Fund, you can log on to their website, womensfund.org. Follow them on all their social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at the Women's Fund, uh, across all platforms, right, Linda? Yes, it is. Indeed. And then uh, your YouTube channel. You, uh, you you all have a YouTube channel as well. So subscribe to the Women's Fund for uh, Health Education and Resiliency on YouTube. Linda. Yeah. Linda Rose. And Go ahead. Can I say one more thing? Sure. On our website, every presentation we've done since April 1st is on our YouTube channel. And if you go to our website, you can click on our video library and you can find it even easier. Indeed. Linda Rhodes, Executive okay. Director of the Women's Fund. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And for everyone listening, the podcast will continue right after this. From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth. With Uncle Funky Larry Jones, and I'm excited that you're excited about our next guest. Yeah, my yeah, Crime like Stoppers of here. Houston. Yeah, so when I, uh, when Access Houston was around, our, our other community affair show that mm-hmm. aired on 97.9 The Box and 92.1 Radio Now, um, this young lady, she was a regular on uh, the show throughout those five years that I hosted Access Houston, okay. and she is the CEO of Crime Stoppers of Houston. Runya McCurious is on the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm with you guys in person, but I'll take it over the phone. I'm so happy to talk to you both. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it would be better to uh, be in person in, in order to see you. That would be uh, great. So, um, Crime Stoppers of Houston, staple in the city, uh, helps out with crime. Uh, actually, uh, you all have um, teamed up with uh, our very own Chief Acevedo on some things. We'll talk on bail reform. Uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But um, tell us what has been going on lately here with Crime Stoppers. Well, I'll tell you, um, 2020 has been a year unlike any year. I've been with Crime Stoppers since 2006, and I've been running it since 2013. Um, I have never seen a year like 2020. I've been telling people it's almost like our uh, Hurricane Harvey in in the sense, you know, there's just so much that our response, this response is required or just overwhelming. It's a year, and and you're, you know, we did. We started the year discussing bail reform and misdemeanor bail reform and then felony bail reform, and then we went straight to COVID and COVID scams and and what COVID means for all these kids that are now home and and kids that, you know, a few days ago we would say, you know, don't be online all the time, and now all of a sudden it's like you're going to live online, you're going to do school online, you're going to socialize online. Um, And then we went straight into the tragic killing of George Floyd and the aftermath and what is the arguments and the narrative around defund police? What does it mean? So we've really, it, you know, had a year unlike any other. We have an incredible team that's working around the clock 
to listen to the community and come up with solutions. And I think that's just been a big point for us. We want to hear, we want to reflect everybody, um, but we don't want to just throw around comments, just throw them around. We want to offer solutions. So that's really been where we, you know, really hunker down. What services can we provide? What solutions can we offer? Indeed. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the defund the police part. Um, Have you all had an opportunity or has uh, different organizations um, or groups who are talking about defund the police and what that is and what that looks like, have they turned to you all for uh, expertise or to get your thoughts on it? Or... Have you all been involved with or, the, or other organizations who explained what it is that they're trying to do? Because it sounds so uh, radical. Yeah, so it's a mix of both. So we've had many, many conversations with other groups, with uh, community leaders. We've done a ton of media on it. Um, and maybe most importantly, we've been appointed by Mayor Turner to sit on the task force that's reviewing um, you know, law enforcement relationships and, and, and how law enforcement will work in the community here in Houston. And um, this has been one of the most complex, one of the most complicated mm-hmm. discussions we've had mm-hmm. because, you know, while we talk about defund the police, we'll get people, it looks, you know, nobody's really asking to defund the police. There, People are asking for, and, um, Wait, hold on, uh, you know, you're, uh, yeah. you're breaking up. Are you some? I, I haven't moved. Can you hear okay. me? Okay, that's yeah. There we go. Okay, go ahead. Continue. I'm so sorry. Um, we'll get people from the community that will say, "Well, you know, certainly nobody's really asking for law enforcement agencies to be defunded. People are asking for reform." And actually, very interesting to see what's going on across the country. Uh, what local elected officials are actually moving to defund local law enforcement and to really look at what the needs are versus what semantics are using versus what communities need. So mm-hmm. we've gotten really, you know, our hands dirty in this conversation and, and, and really tried to be proactive while, while listening and offering, you know, as I said, offering solutions. Okay. Ronya, it's Larry. You mentioned earlier about scams from COVID-19. What does that look like? What kind of scams are you talking about? Oh, my goodness. We have seen so many from copycat websites, um, websites that are completely fake, but they've stolen images from legitimate, uh, encouraging people to click and purchase and when putting in their credit card information and getting absolutely nothing. Um, last I checked, there were eight hundred over 800,000 copycat websites up and running. Um, to pretending to be um, with the health department, pretending to be with local hospitals, pretending to be with insurance companies, wanting to, quote, unquote, check for symptoms, um, come to the neighborhood to give, quote, unquote, tests. Uh, Basically, they're dialing for dollars or looking for people who are willing to give personal information out. We've seen people pretending to be contact tracers. Um, I mean, the list has literally gone Mm -hmm. on and Mm -hmm. On. And, and we see that whenever there's a crisis, scammers are very quick to um, monopolize and, and figure out how to turn it into funds for their for criminal practices. So the best defense people about what should be asked, what shouldn't be asked, what's really being 
um, you know, offered by the health department, what contact tracers will really ask for, what they won't ask for. The more we can spread that type of message, the more people will say, hey, ask this. I'm not supposed to be getting this phone call. I'm not supposed to click any links or give my health insurance information to anybody. Um, nobody should be asking for a credit card. So the more we can talk about that, I think the, the better off the community is. And we've, we've just, I mean, reached about 3,000 community members locally, but we've done media interviews uh, all over the state of Texas, but also all over the country on COVID scams. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've suffered with identity theft, so I'm, I I don't touch anything that doesn't look like or I didn't ask. It all gets deleted immediately. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's, it's horrible. It's really horrible. Um, I'm sure you and KG will circle back around this, but this is – this is the organization that Dave Ward had a great deal to do with some 40 years ago. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah. Dave was, wow. um, he's known to be the voice of crime stop early on, you know, partnered with the organization and said, let's give the media a role to play here. And they did the reenactment for really popular at the time. It's really the reason crime stoppers of Houston is, the most person in the world. I think mm. it, it goes back to Dave Ward's involvement in the early years. And of course, he stayed deeply connected to the organization. And now um, our headquarters, the only Crime Stoppers headquarters anywhere in the world. So we're very, very proud of that and um, know that he's, he's proud of it. And so uh, we always, we have a very soft spot for it. I think um, that it, it's just obvious and see the history, his history through the building and, and can visit his office. It's just he's a very special person for us. Yeah, he's one of the good guys of the city for sure. Runyon, you all have your plates full, uh, especially for this upcoming school year, whatever uh, that looks like. <laughs> um, one thing that you all take very seriously um, is the safety of our kids, especially in the online space and in social media. So um, what does safety look like for our kids online now? And, you know, how do our kids socialize in this era of COVID? Like what is going to be their new norm? And, and what about their digital safety? Unfortunately, COVID has brought with it so much. Um, and one of our biggest fears is it's pushed to the forefront something that we've been talking against for a long time. You know, kids, put your phones down, turn social media off, engage face-to-face -face with friends who are known to you, with family, uh, Get be creative, create something. Now kids for a very long time have been, you know, not stuck at home, but safe at home, really relying fully on social media. So we've been concerned as um, they, you know, very innocently now look to the Internet to do research, but may come across things that they shouldn't see or may reach out to individuals that are not safe to reach out to all in the manner of, quote unquote, research. Uh, we've seen kids who are bored getting on social media and sharing more than, you know, they've ever shared before because they're just so bored. They're so alone and they're looking to connect. Um, we've seen the number of social media challenges increase and the number of kids participating increase. And, of course, you know, it's it's a very hard thing for parents to navigate because now you're with your kids 24 hours a day, which, of course, is wonderful, uh, but we're not used to it. You know, they're usually with teachers or they're, you know, at a, at a sports 
event or out with a friend and all of that's gone. Um, I know we're slowly getting it back. We're pushing for our kids to re- return to school in August or September. Um, and we're hoping that that will be the case, but there's a lot of gray. We don't know what will really happen. So parents are doing the best they can to navigate these times. And Crime Stoppers of Houston has really worked overtime to turn our safe school information um, into a virtual resource for parents and for everything we can think of um, as a way to help reach parents, help reach kids, and keep them safe proactively during these unimaginable times. So in terms of back to school, like what are the parents, what are some of the questions that parents are having about learning and safety? Well, a lot of it will be, you know, one, if kids are choosing to go back into the classroom, well, you know, of course, what does that look like? Um, But the second is for those parents, and I think a lot of parents are going to be given the option, you know, do you want to keep your kids at home and and do remote learning, or do you want to send them off to school campuses? Um, For those that will be choosing the remote learning option, does it mean how will my kids interact with, with, uh, who will their teachers be? Is it going to be an, an entirely new team? You know, the regular teachers will now be teaching their regular school day. Um, And who are these new team of teachers? Uh, Are they known or unknown to us? What are the background requirements for these teachers, given it's all virtual? Uh, How will they engage? Are there going to be requirements that kids, you know, must be sitting at a desk when they zoom in or or dial into class? I mean, can they be sitting in a bedroom? Um, You know, there's a lot of questions for parents. And, um, you know, are there office hours? Again, what does it all look like? And we're all asking different types of questions, but at the end of the day, there's so much that's unknown. And we just want to make sure we navigate that together with the safety of our kids, just as questions around education. You know, certainly when we're remote learning successful, that kids are learning, but we also want to make sure that remote learning is safe. Um, people can't Zoom bomb or, um, you know, infiltrate access to our children, you know, the network around our kids is going to grow exponentially. And and those are the things parents are worried about. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier about uh, the bail reform, KG. Yes. Can we uh, circle back on that? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, tell us about um, you all teaming up with uh, Chief Acevedo for uh, bail reform. What, 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 was you, what was going on with that? So, I mean, I wish this was something that more people were following in terms of, you know, you ask the average person and they're, they, they're not following it at all. And I'm so thankful to you for asking about it. Um, misdemeanor bail reform was something that everybody agreed with. The idea that, you know, if you commit a, a, a first offense, it's a low level misdemeanor crime. Mm-hmm. You should not be held, mm-hmm. uh, you know, behind bars awaiting any type of sentencing or any type of trial. It's just ridiculous. Because You've got you don't to have be, the money, right? Yeah, because you don't have the money. It's wrong. People lose their jobs. Sandra um, Bland would actually, still be alive if it wasn't for how bail reform used to be. Exactly. So these are really important reform issues. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure people disagree, but that wasn't the majority. The overwhelming majority of people in this space said absolutely hands down misdemeanor, low-level offenses. These people should not be held. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem became 
when you looked at felony crimes and not just felony crimes, but when you found yourself dealing with habitual repeat violent felony offenders. And Mm -hmm. what we were finding was that these people would be arrested and they'd go before a judge or a magistrate would be released on either no bond, a PR bond or like $10 or a hundred dollars. And the community was saying, wait a minute, you know, the notion of misdemeanor bond reform, everybody agreed with. But when you get to these felony cases, and again, not just even regular felony, we're talking about habitual, mm-hmm. violent, yeah. repetitive yeah. offenders. Big assessment. This is not about money, who has what money, who doesn't have money. It's not, not about um, male or female. It's not about skin color, ethnicity. It is about risk society. We let this person out. What is the likelihood that they're going to repeat the offense or even, the, you know, the offense will escalate? Mm-hmm. Um, and that risk assessment was not being done. Well, no, we don't want to really hold people on any type of bail, so we're going to let you out. Um, and we were seeing crimes escalating. And, and the statistics were there. Everybody was watching it. And the bigger issue, honestly, was not just our crimes escalating, but you have some of these cases where, you're dealing with domestic violence where the last hope for some of these families is that the offender is arrested and yet they'd be let right back out right. to that they offended. And we saw people lives. Um, but we also saw communities that, you know, really were to rid local neighborhoods of these violent, repetitive, habitual offenders and nobody's helping them. And so it, it became a very complex issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joint Chief Art Acevedo and a lot of law enforcement to talk about. I'm I'm glad that um, you all were involved in that and having that conversation. Hearing what you said about the habitual uh, repeat uh, felony uh, offenses, yeah. When it comes to those guys, yeah, d- do what you got to do to keep them in so they won't go back out into the community and keep repeating the same crime again when it's a felony. Like you said, the lower cases, the misdemeanors. No, I mean, let them out on a PR bond. Nobody should be sitting in jail for it just because they don't have $500. But that argument is what a lot of the Bells bondsmen were having. That that was their argument towards me when it came to the misdemeanor in the lower case, that argument that is used for the habitual felony uh, offenders and I'm just like you know no that's a crop to me yeah uh, because yeah. it just it just sounds like it's money you all you all are upset that a good chunk of the way that you make money <laughs> on shaking down poor black and brown folks is going to get cut into and so um, I'm glad that the old way of of bail that that was um, deemed unconstitutional and that now we have a new way of doing things Larry you want to no, I was I was curious, who who's responsible for letting these people out or keeping them in? Is this a judge or because I, I don't really know how that system works. And I'm again so glad you're asking because we'll we'll talk to people and they say, well, how, why is law enforcement releasing them or why is the DA releasing them or why is it? And it's it's really um, you know we're studying them case by case, but what we're finding overwhelmingly is that the judges or the magistrates who have the ultimate decision. I mean, the DA can push for a high bond. We saw many cases where the DA did ask for a high bond dealing again with felony, habitual, repeat, violent felony offenders. And the judge would just say, no, no, we're not doing anything. They're going to go out on a PR bond. 
maybe ten dollars. If you were following this, you saw Governor Abbott issue an executive order along the lines that you know judges shouldn't do that. At least they can't issue a PR bond when you're dealing with a violent felony offender. Um, so judges or magistrates sort of circled back and said, "All right, ten dollars. You know, we'll just pay ten dollars and you can go." Um, wow. And you know, it's just. Can I we, agree with Chief Art. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm, no, no. I, I, forgive me. Can we vote these people out? I mean, are these are these appointed judges? Do they have to run? Well, funny that you the say that. The judges run. Yeah, the, yeah, judges, the judges run. run. But when the 19 black judges got elected here in Houston in 2018, mm-hmm. um, now what they want to do up in Austin is now have them appoint judges instead of us electing for them now couldn't be because they were brown could it oh i mean it was working totally fine all all up until 19 black Uh, judges got in and now you want to say let's not elect them let's appoint them Hmm. the same way they do in washington Hmm. you know Hmm. something Hmm. that's keep sweat something just ain't right that's bizarre but it goes to the point of why the community needs to you know i can't tell you how many people say gosh it's horrible, but it doesn't really apply to me. I'm not going to get her. I'm never going to be before a judge. I don't know. None of this stuff really applies to me, but it, it's got to apply. You know, I don't care if none of us are ever going to be in front of a judge. We have to care about mm-hmm. these judges, how they're voted in. The, yeah. ma- the, the magistrates are appointed at this point. We and their record. About what... Yeah, we have to. We have to because the effects of it affect us all. And for Austin, you know, discussions out of Austin to maybe switch the way judges are brought in, whether, you know, voted in or appointed. I mean, the average person that you ever think you're going to be in front of a judge, you need to care about these issues because they actually affect the Mm. absolute quality of all of our lives. I don't care where you live, what, what bubble you think you're in. I don't care what community you're in. And, you know, the other thing, too, is we have to care about each other. We have to care about communities in need. We have to care about kids who want to feel safe walking to school, families who deal with family violence. Um, We have to even care about these criminals, like the suspects themselves. We don't want to set them up for failure. You know, I'm a huge proponent of being tough on crime, especially when you're dealing with violent, habitual, repetitive felony offenders. But I'm also equally vocal about what do we do once we've arrested these people? They've been found guilty. I don't believe in just throwing people into prison and, and throwing away a key. We've got to invest in these people. We've got to figure out how to break the cycle. We've got to make sure that they are not just serving sentences endlessly, that there's got to be a hope to get out. There's got to be a plan for them to have a job, to be integrated back into society, to be contributing to society. The system needs to be fixed on every level. But I also think we're smart enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to say there's no fixing. There's no fixing the system. Um, we need to totally dismantle it and build a new one. Because the way that this system was built was specifically, specifically to continue to oppress and keep down poor, black, brown, and other folks. Period. I, I mean, I, there's so much that I thought I knew, Runya. Um, before the uprising started with Brother George Floyd, but since George Floyd's death and so much more information and the correct history, not the whitewashed history that we have been giving in this country for centuries and centuries, now that the truth is finally being exposed about 
everything, um, people are they're afraid of, of of this truth and of this new awakening. So I think that the system needs to be totally dismantled and built again because it it was built specifically for a reason, and that was let me, to keep us down. And let me ask you a question about that. So how do you totally dismantle it? without jeopardizing the safety of those who need the protection the most. And well, one of the arguments could be, you know, all of our local elected officials, Houston is a minority majority city. And I'll tell you, I've, I'm from New England where it's not a minority majority in any sense of the way, you know, I mean, it's literally the opposite, but Houston is a major city, minority majority driven. And, and our leaders are people of color. They're people of different ethnicities. Um, I look at our city council. I look at our mayor. I look at our chief. I look at our sheriff. I look at our city council. I look at Lena Hidalgo, our commissioner. We have everything stacked in our favor to reform what needs to be reformed. But and I let me be clear. Let me say, I, I mean, I mean, in terms of systemic racism and white supremacy, that system, because everything that yeah, happens okay. is based on the ideology of white supremacy and systemic racism in, in terms of that. Now, you know, of course, we got a lot of work to do in terms of how we reform and change and, you know, re- rebuild uh, the system. But that's what I meant. I, I didn't, I mean, the judicial system is part of the whole entire system, but I didn't mean the ju- judicial system, you know, per se, dismantle it and then we'll just be lawless. No, that would be, because that would be a reckless. lot of people are saying that. Like, let's, re- let's just scrap all law enforcement departments in full and start over. Well, no, that would be reckless. I mean, we got to be smart about it. I mean, we got to be smart about it, break it down, because I myself want to know, like, why does HPD really need, like, you know, all these billions of dollars? And and I get about the maintenance of the vehicles and the equipment and all of that, but can we do an audit to see, like, if the money is really necessary and we can take the money that's not so necessary and put it towards allocated other to other funds to uh, professionals that can come in and, and de-escalate a situation in terms of, you know, when 